morning. Thank you for reading for us. Let's follow along in John chapter 21. John 21, 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid down on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Mary Thomas, for reading for us. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Ben. I'm the associate pastor here. And we're thrilled uh, that you would join us as we read the, the words of God. If you're not uh, familiar with church or haven't been around much, this story may catch you a little bit off guard. It's a story that might seem a little bit strange, but one of the things that I love about the scriptures is that when they tell us these stories about people who have encountered Jesus, people who have engaged with him, what we see is that these people, well, they're just like us. They're the same uh, messy, emotional, uh, same strained, relational kinds of people that we are. And so over the last few weeks, we have been looking at these encounters that folks have with Jesus, the, the folks who got to see Jesus after he rose again from the dead. We've been able to see how Jesus comes and he meets them in all sorts of different circumstances. But today, what we're going to look at is I think that Jesus comes to a group of people who are disillusioned. People who, who want to follow after Jesus, who, who, who believe that Jesus has rose from again, and yet the way of Jesus has not lived up to what they thought it would be. Their picture for what life in Jesus' kingdom is, it, it hasn't come true for them. And so I want to tell you why I think that here in a second. But I got to thinking this week, how do we experience that? How do we experience disillusionment with uh, the way of Jesus? How do we experience disillusionment in, in, in church and as we get together? And then I came in on Monday morning and I looked at the, the newspaper, you know, on my phone, of course. And the New York Times on Monday ran a, a story, which is a fascinating story, profiling a, a pastor who's... Uh, over in Fort Smith, Arkansas, just a couple hours away from us. And they were profiling how this man had grown up in Fort Smith his 
his whole life. Graduated from the local high school there, had gone off to college and seminary, and then he returned to his hometown and and took a job as an associate pastor at a local church, filled with a, a vision that he could live and be in his hometown for the rest of his ministry, that he could love the people of that town, that he could proclaim Christ to them. After a few years as an associate, he became the senior pastor and taught and loved in their midst. And yet, over the last two years, things have fallen apart. His vision for the way that he thought life would, that life of following Jesus would look like, become mired in, in conflict. Conflict with, uh, within the parish, conflict within the community. It came mired in, in hearsay. It became mired as he uh, felt convicted that he needed to speak more openly and more freely about dynamics like race or, or politics. And after a couple short years of turmoil, he finds himself on the other side of the country in an entirely new world. The way he thought he would follow Jesus, the road that he thought was laid in front of him turned out to be a dead end. And then on Tuesday I came and I read, uh, opened uh, to, to check on the news again, and this time it was an article by The Atlantic that was published on Tuesday. This was a much longer article uh, looking at churches in, in, Brighton, out in Brighton, Michigan, where they were spotlighting. And these churches, uh, and they interviewed tons and tons of congregants who had, in the midst of the pandemic, switched over to a new church. A church because they felt like the, the places where they were. The church homes that they had been a part of were no longer addressing the issues that needed to be addressed. Now, these were a group of people who, who had a lot of pent-up political anger and a, and, a, and a unique perspective on the pandemic or, or whatever the case it may be. But the story tells that this church, the church that catered to what they thought they needed, grew from 100 people on Easter Sunday in 2020 to 100. 1,500 people on Easter Sunday 2021. Whatever you think about their rationale, whatever you think about who these people are, the life that they pictured living out in their previous churches, the way of Jesus that they thought it meant to look out, when you think about their lives as people, they turned out very differently than what they expected. And then on Wednesday, I came in, and it was uh, Grizzlies game day, and ESPN has nothing to offer to this sermon. But you see the point. You see the point that in, in real life, if you set out to follow after Jesus, if you set out to become a follower of Jesus, uh, if you have not felt disillusioned with what that looks like, if you haven't been felt burned in relationships, if you haven't felt that the, uh, the community of people you have given yourself to has abandoned you, you, you probably haven't been trying to follow Jesus very long. And especially over the last few years, as our culture has felt the weight of, uh, of any numerous numbers of pressures upon it, we see this fracturing and this breaking in the lives of individual followers of Jesus. 
What does a risen Jesus have to do for the disillusioned? What does it have to do for the people who thought they were following after Jesus? They thought they had seen all the signposts of the way they were supposed to go. And at the end of the day, they looked where they were and they said, I, this doesn't look familiar at all. I'm lost. I'm confused. I don't know what the next thing is I'm supposed to do. I think when our friends here say uh, in verse 3, I'm going fishing, it's an expression not just of their recreational habits, but of a deep personal feeling of lostness, of confusion. They want to follow Jesus, but they just don't know the way. And so I think this text shows us, though, is, is, is two big movements that happen in the lives of these disciples And the first is that they're lost, and the second is that they're found. It's a pretty simple argument. But let's take a look a little bit closer, because that may seem kind of strange to say they're lost. What? I mean, they just said they're they're going fishing. How is that an expression that they're in this emotional crisis? Well, to understand, we have to go back and understand the lives that these led. Notice um, that it was one of the, the followers of Jesus named Peter, who is the one who proposes to go fishing. And Peter's story with Jesus begins, if we listen to the Gospel of Luke, uh, several years before. Several years before, but on a morning that was a lot like this one. It was a morning in which he had stayed up all night plying his trade as a fisherman. He spent all night with his colleagues working on a boat, casting their net over and over again, and coming up with nothing in their nets, no catch, no food, no fish to sell in the marketplace. And wearied and beleaguered, they found themselves the next morning as they cleaned their nets, being confronted with this teacher named Jesus, who asked to come aboard their ship. And as he was on there, he says, uh, throw your fish, your net out one more time. And on that morning in Luke 5, just like this morning in John 21, what happens is when they throw their fish at Jesus' command, they receive this massive haul of fish. And Peter is undone. Peter is, is amazed. Peter is fearful. He actually says to Jesus, get away from me, right? I, I am not worthy to interact with you. But at that moment, Peter knew that Jesus was not just some flash in the pan, that Jesus came and was Jesus was going to really build a kingdom, and Peter was all on board. He plowed straight down that line. When Jesus says, come with, follow me and be fishers of men, Peter disowned his boat. Peter left his nets. Peter said, I'll follow you anywhere. And over and over in the stories of the Gospels of Jesus, we see Peter living out that, that, that desire, that zeal to follow after Jesus. We see him arguing with his companions. So they, okay, when Jesus, when Jesus makes it big, when Jesus' kingdom really comes, what do you think our, like, what do you think our official titles are going to be? You know, what, what's our role in Jesus' cabinet going to be? Who's going to be more important, me or you? They really believed that Jesus would become the king that he proclaimed himself to be. And so one night when Jesus gathered with them and they ate their supper, and Jesus says, I'm about to die. 
I'm about to give up my life. And by the way, you all are going to scatter and run away. Peter's mind is blown. He goes, no way. I've followed you this far. I have, I've been dedicated to your purposes. I've, been, I've, I've sacrificed my life, my, my occupation. I've given of myself for you, Jesus. I'll give whatever you ask of me. I'll lay down my life if I need to. A couple of hours later in the garden, as an armed battalion comes to, uh, to, to arrest Jesus, Peter tried to make good on his promise. As an armed battalion comes and approaches Jesus, Peter takes matters into his own hands and he pulls out his sword. Now, I don't know the likelihood of, of one man with a sword against a battalion of soldiers, but I'm, I'm guessing it's not a good one. Right? This was an act where Peter said, I will go to prison. I will sacrifice my life for you, Jesus. I'll do it. I'll do it. But then he found out that the way that he thought Jesus was going was not the way that Jesus was going. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, put away your sword. That's not the way. That's not what I must do. And I don't know what Peter felt in that moment in the garden. But I would guess he felt pretty confused. I would guess he would felt a little bit betrayed. Jesus, I was sticking out my neck for you, and here I am getting cut off. Here I am being rebuked when I've, all I've tried to do is do the right things for you to try to build your kingdom. We know the story goes on, and, and, Peter, uh, and Peter will deny Jesus that he knows Jesus. And then will come the Easter Sunday when he discovers that Jesus has come alive from the dead. And you can sense the excitement within him. And yet on this morning, this morning where chapter 121 finds us, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Jesus seems to have evaporated through the wall just like he came the first time. Peter doesn't know what it is that he's supposed to do. He wants to follow Jesus, but where is Jesus? He wants to build God's kingdom, but he tried that before, and it blew up in his face. It would make a whole lot of sense for Peter to be feeling a lot of disillusionment. This way of Jesus is not what I thought it would be. And so Peter's response, Peter's answer to that feeling of loss, of helplessness, of, of, of abandonment, is the same one that I think many of us would have. Let's go fishing. Let me just put aside those big metaphysical questions. Let me put away aside these, this confusing kingdom that I don't even understand what's happening. Let me put aside these emotions of hurt and abandonment that I feel. Let me put aside this guilt that I feel. And let me just go do my job on a Monday morning. Let me go make a few dollars. I don't know about this whole, all this Jesus stuff. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in God's world, but I can, I can escape. I can, I can find a, a way to make my emotions make sense if I just focus on me, if I just focus on making the dollar I need to make today. Maybe some of us here in this room have a similar story. Maybe there's been a time in your life in which following Jesus seemed really easy. It seemed really simple. It seemed really straightforward. You seemed like you knew what Jesus wanted from you and you felt like you could do those things. And yet as life has come on, 
as the mentors who you once trusted have, have abandoned that trust, as the uh, community that, that you once felt was family has become embroiled in conflict, as your, uh, your understanding of the world, of, of, yes, of politics, of, of uh, mission, of work, of, uh, of any number of things have come to dead ends, you look around and you go, I don't know what to make of this. And emotionally, you begin to, to pull back. Emotionally, you begin to, to withdraw yourself. Yes, I, I believe that there is some, that Jesus is there. I believe that Jesus is, is real, but who Jesus is, what I'm supposed to do with that knowledge, that's, that's beyond me. I just need to focus on what I need to focus on. I just need to go to work. I need to put aside those questions. And so we begin to withdraw from reading the words that Jesus gave us. We begin to withdraw from, um, from the work that Jesus gave us to do because we say, I've, I've given my, my life, I've given my blood, sweat, and tears to build this thing. And now I don't even know if what was built is helpful to anyone in the first place. Disillusionment comes easy if you're trying to follow the way of Christ. But the question is not just how did we get there, but it's what do we do then? And more often than not, most of us double down on that, you know, on those feelings. Most of us double down on that, that, that alienation. Most of us just continue to retreat farther and farther and farther away from the times and the places where Jesus has promised to show up because it just seems too hard. It seems too painful. It seems like we don't know which way is up, so we'll just focus on ourselves. But if we're indeed lost, if we're indeed in a place where we don't know whether to turn to the right or to the left, we don't know which way is north or which way is south, then you cannot find your way out. You cannot help yourself. Back in uh, the, back in over fall break, I took my uh, three kids on their first backpacking trip. Now, this may sound ludicrous because my children are 10, well, well, at the time they were 10, 7, and 5 years old. But I did, I, I, got, I rounded up my brother and my brother-in-law to come with me. Uh, so we had a good kid to, to adult ratio. And we set out, we put packs on their, their backs, and we set out into the woods. And as you can imagine, this is a pretty fearful time as a parent, right? Like there's a lot of control that's missing in the system. But what I wasn't afraid of, uh, I, I wasn't afraid that some wildlife was going to come attack us. They were much too noisy and annoying for that kind of thing. You know, any animal would, would run away at the, at the sound of us. I wasn't really even that worried about injury or, or hurt. Again, we had three adults who could, we could, we could evacuate them and, and, and find the help that we would need. But the thing that terrified me as a father, the thing that, that, that paralyzed me was the, the fear that they would become lost that they would wander off into the woods, that they would uh, become somehow disconnected from us, from the rest of the group. And that they would, when they found themselves lost, that they would try to find us themselves. 
any survival expert will tell you, right? If you become lost, like really lost in the wilderness, what you don't do is you don't try to find your own way back. Because what you think may be the, the direction you're supposed to walk back may be the opposite. You may be walking farther and farther away from camp. You may be walking farther and farther away from the people. And so our first survival lesson of the camping trip was I put a whistle around the neck of each one. Some of you parents realize how bad, poor of a choice this was, uh, right? But the first survival lesson was here's a whistle, right? And if you uh, wander off to go whatever, if you find yourself in these woods and you don't know where to go, what I want you to do is I want you to sit down right where you are. I want you to take that whistle. I want you to blow as loud and as often as you can. And I want you to stay where you are until I come find you. Because if you're lost, if you're uh, confused, if you're alone, you will not find your way back to me using your own sense. You won't find your way back to me using your own directions. You won't be able to follow that compass back to me. But if you stay where you are, then you can be found. So some of us here this morning in the midst of confusion, in the midst of disillusionment of what does it mean to follow after Jesus? What is it that I'm supposed to do Maybe what you need to do is stop trying to find yourself. Maybe what you need to do is stop trying to unstuck yourself. And maybe what it is that you need to do is to cry out as loud as you can to the one who promises to find us. And here's why. Because Peter got onto that boat trying to escape his fears. Peter got onto the boat trying to escape the reality of, of his confusion. He followed Jesus' last command to go to Galilee, but now what was he supposed to do with his life? Peter got onto that boat not knowing the way forward, but when he got off that boat, he found the way. And it wasn't a, a moral, it wasn't an argument, it wasn't some intellectual lightning bolt that struck him. What he found on the boat was the one who found him. Because there was a man on the shore that day. There was a man on the shore that day who came looking for Peter and for his friends because he wanted to be with them. It is, of course, Jesus. When they see Jesus uh, once again fill their nets with fish, as they see Jesus once again uh, enter into their lives as he invites them to come and eat breakfast with him. We see just what it means when we're found by Jesus. Because that sounds like a very like church kind of thing, right? To say, oh yeah, you need to be found by Jesus. Well, the, when they, when Jesus enters back into the picture of the lives of these men, two things happen. One is their circumstances change. Their understanding of the world, their understanding changes. And we won't get into it, it, it too far here because um, that's next week's sermon is Jesus directly engages the, the, the notions and the life that Peter thought. Jesus, when he enters into the, to this moment with Peter, he does not just say, ah, at last we're together again. He says to Peter, look, 
We can see, we can understand why it is that you feel disillusioned. We can explain your, uh, your, your failures. We can find a way to move forward in forgiveness. Jesus does not just come and, and sing kumbaya with us. Jesus come and he really does change the circumstances. He really does come and challenge Peter in, his, in what he thought and what he, he desires. He really does come and impart a spirit upon Peter that will revolutionize his ability to live in this world. The Peter that we see going, uh, abandoning ship and going fishing is not the same Peter that we will ever see again. Because when Jesus comes and finds him, when Jesus walks down the path with him, he cannot become lost anymore. Some of us, as we pull back from church, as we pull back from relationships where there's been hurt and where there's been pain, we're pulling ourselves farther and farther away from the help that Jesus has given us. There are places that Jesus has promised you he will show up. He promises that he will show up in his word. He promises that he will show up in his sacraments. He promises that he will show up in his church together. You have the opportunity, even in pain, even in confusion, even in sorrow, to cry out to Jesus, to look to the shore, to see Jesus where he has said he will be. And he can actually change that which is broken. But he doesn't just objectively come and, and save our, uh, fix what is broken in us or in our world, but he also subjectively does. Can you imagine? Can you imagine feeling that confusion and the, the disorientation of being on that boat? Of wondering if, if Jesus really has, makes any difference to life at all. If, if you're able to even do this job that he's given you. And then Jesus shows up on the shore. And when you come to him, he, 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 he has not just given you a, a, a boatload full of fish. He's not just provided for you, but what he sets in front of you is, is a table. A table that brings back all the memories of the time that you have spent together. That you are not alone, but that you experience love and grace. Even when you doubted whether his way was even possible just a few hours before. We see Jesus reach out to these people not to correct them. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't castigate them. He doesn't uh, disown them. Jesus, when he enters back into their life, he meets them not just in their objective needs for the future. He meets them at their emotional, subjective place to know that they are his and to know that he is theirs, to know that they are cared and that they are provided for, to know that grace abounds when he's there. Jesus does not send them away hungry, physically or metaphorically. Jesus fulfills their need. And so when we come to this text as people who at times in this life, you will feel like you don't know what is right and what is wrong. You will feel like you don't know the way to follow Jesus. There will be times when relationships feel so bruised and broken that you don't think there's any way to move forward. And you will say, I do not know the way 
there is a way, and it's Jesus. My favorite, one of my favorite uh, interactions with Jesus and his disciples comes a few chapters before this. And Jesus sat with his disciples, and, and he was trying to, like, tell them about all this, right? And they're not, they're, they're missing it <laughs> completely. But he says to them, you know, look, I'm going away. I'm preparing a place so that we can be together. He says, but you know the way to where I'm going. And they all kind of, like, look at each other side-eyed, like, uh, I, don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I miss that memo. I don't know the way. And Thomas speaks up. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And do you remember Jesus' response? When Jesus looked at them, he, he didn't say, look, I already gave you the roadmap. He didn't say, uh, look, here are, the, here are the, the things you are supposed to do. He didn't say, here are the morals you're supposed to keep. He says to them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you're lost, you don't need to find yourself. If you're lost, you don't need to improve your performance. If you're lost, the way to life, the way to truth, the way to wholeness is with Jesus. Because we'll always be confused about Jesus' words. And we'll always be uh, inadequate for the task of God's kingdom. But if we are with him, if we are found by him, then we will know his way, and we will know his life, because he has come for us. Pray with me. God, we gather in this place, and some of us feel uh, painfully the feeling that, that where we are now is not where we ever wanted to be, that life has played out in such a way that in ways that we never intended. And yet, God, you are a God who can find us in the farthest most places. You are the God who knows us in our innermost parts. You are the God who can bring us into your home and into your kingdom. Father, find us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.